Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents and carers. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Today, we're revisiting one of our favourite interviews from the archive. I hope you enjoy it. The world we live in has a thousand different places where you can get advice and information on how to parent your child. I'm not just talking about the internet. If you're like me, you might start with those that are closest to you, your mum, your sister, your best friend. Then from there, I probably move to a professional or if it's 3am, God help me, I might, I may make the unfortunate decision to consult Dr. Google. But here's the problem. With so many different sources of advice, what you end up with is confusion, not knowing whether to trust your own instinct, what advice is going to help your child the best, who knows the best. Conflicting advice is a problem for many of us, whether your child is very young or even a toddler or older. To help us wade our way through it, I'm joined by Robin Barker, author of Baby Love and a Mighty Toddler. Hi, Robin. How are you? I'm very well, Siobhan. Thank you. And we want to start by acknowledging the slight irony that perhaps... Your voice, as trusted as it is, may be part of this mixture of information. I have definitely contributed to it, <laughs> Siobhan, and I, I acknowledge that wholeheartedly. <laughs> my, in my defence, when I, Baby Love was first published, there wasn't quite the load of information that there is now. And secondly, we, we didn't really have an Australian book of the sort that I wrote. <laughs> That's in my defence. However, if baby love had never existed, uh, mothers could certainly look after their babies and raise their children without baby love. Well, In I fact, don't they know. could do it. They could do it probably without most of the stuff that's around. I to disagree because I used your book <laughs> and the advice I was given. Even though I didn't always follow it, my sister's advice to me was. And literally, when I say I turn, you turn to the people closest to you, I did. I just looked at my sister, thought, you're as neurotic as I am. We've got the similar genetics. I'm just going to do what you do. And also, I knew she researched the hell out of everything. And she said, here, read this book when you need to, your book, Baby Love. And then, if you want to, one other, don't go anywhere else. She said, you'll just confuse yourself. Just stay with one. And of course, I, I don't know, sleep deprivation. I think the trickiest time for me was actually breastfeeding in terms of conflicting advice. And that wasn't even about the books or information on the net. It was the professionals, the different professionals I went to. Indeed. And breastfeeding is a really interesting um, example because whilst there's plenty of scientific evidence to support the idea or the principle that breast milk and the act of breastfeeding is better for babies. The other area, as in how you actually do it, and the huge variations in baby behaviour and mother behaviour related to breastfeeding uh, have caused huge amounts of conflicting advice. And in fact, we don't do the management of breastfeeding very well. We do the other part okay. People who are interested in breastfeeding and really want to know about it, there is a mine of information about what's in it, where it comes from, why it's why it's better, why you should always have a go at it, etc. But when it comes down to actually helping the mother and the, and the baby, uh, conflicting advice is rampant in breastfeeding. And there have been attempts, many attempts, to try to solve this. But you see, each health professional, according to 
what part of the health profession they're in, as in are they a midwife, are they a child and family health nurse, are they a, a lactation consultant, are they a paediatrician, are they a psychologist, are they a physiotherapist, all come into play. And whilst you can have standard advice for treating various problems or helping with various problems, often sometimes that standard advice simply doesn't work. So the health professional, as in when I was doing it, um, the more practice you get and the more people you see, you are inclined to bring your own bit of knowledge into it. Uh, and then if the woman who's having the problems then goes off and sees someone else, they're going to have a completely different idea about it. So I'm not sure that will ever be resolved. It, I felt like after Actually. at the end of my first time breastfeeding with my daughter, I felt like it was like... A mysterious art yes. that only the necromancers knew how to manage. Because <laughs> there was one time with her, no kidding, I was thinking about it. You know, you forget once your kids get a bit older. But there was a time with Darcy, she must have been around three months old, so not sleeping brilliantly anyway, where I got this weird pain in my one breast that kept me up for hours and it lasted about three months. And I did see lactation consultants. Mm. I tried cabbage leaves. They thought it might be thrush and all these yeah. different things. Thrush in the ducts, my God, that was that was <laughs> endemic at one stage. You see, yeah. the problem is, Siobhan, for, for some of these things, in the end, people don't really know. And that pain you're talking about, that is not uncommon. And in order to solve the problem and give the mother something to do and something to hang a hat on, thrush in the ducts became this huge thing. I don't know if it still is. <laughs> I, it, I, it, for me, it, it didn't make sense. Healthy women, yep. youngish women, do not get thrush in the, the ducts. They, they, thrush, internal thrush, happens when people have really serious debilitating illnesses, HIV, for example. Right. So to say that a... a a young lactating mother has got thrush internally inside her ducts. Yeah. As far as I was concerned, was nonsense. But there you go, you see. So you would and get you just, someone like you would go yes. to the lactation consultant who would tell you you've got thrush in the ducts. And then you'd come and see me and I'd say, not nonsense. Yes. I don't really know why you're getting that pain. All I can tell you is a lot of people get it. Eventually it will go away as long as your baby is gaining weight and thriving and you can handle it. Uh, just hang in there. That would yep. probably be, and so and there, I there that's the best. That's well, the kind of advice yeah, I kind of yeah, wanted. Yeah, exactly. But other people would think, no, that's not the best advice. You know, if you, but don't you think mothers like for me in mm. all those bits of advice I got and things like breastfeeding isn't meant to hurt. They felt it felt like people wanted to give me an answer, but I didn't. I didn't need that kind of answer. I just needed to know what was normal and then work out whether I could deal with it. And in that whole area of conflicting advice, when it when it's about things that we don't really, really know what's causing it or why babies are behaving the way they are, it's very difficult to research. That's where you get conflicting advice. And this is the area that probably drives parents, mothers in particular, completely insane because it's also ambiguous. And as I said, it's very difficult to research. Whereas there's a whole range of things where you will not get conflicting advice because it's relatively easy to research and the research stands up. Let's take immunisation, for example. I mean, the research behind immunisation is solid and people who are anti-immunisation really don't have anything solid to hang their hats on. Um, so, and, and there's all the child safety information, same. Uh, car, child, infant restraints in cars, the SIDS 
not putting babies on their tummies to sleep has reduced the SIDS rate by about 80% or plus. So, I mean, that's that's huge evidence for those things. You do talk about – so there there are things that we can we can actually say this is black and white. More we or don't less. need to – more or less, but yep. we can pretty yep. much say it's 90% yes. in favour of this And probably advice. if you see five health professionals, unless you see some outlying – person who's into, <laughs> shaman. who's into amber beads and not immunising babies, uh, you, will, you will get pretty much the same advice on what those about, areas. I imagine that there are areas, um, I remember this is something a little bit different, but just as an example, when my husband and I were talking about whether or not to circumcise my son, we both went uh, away and did our own research and found evidence for both of us. Are there topics in the parenting world that are like that, where there is research for both different sides? Lots, lots. That's yeah. a particular tricky one, mm-hmm. circumcision. <laughs> yes. It is, and we, perhaps we could talk about that someday, but that is a tricky one. But there's many areas like that. Childcare, you know, the risks and benefits of childcare for the under threes. You can find uh, research that supports uh, the idea that there's no risks and it's all lovely, and you can find research that has varying degrees of harm associated with it. Some of that research, like, for example, Steve Bidoff, he's really anti and he claims all sorts of harm from it. Um, and he has research to support that point of view. I don't actually agree with that. Um, however, a- across the spectrum, you-, you can find research supporting whatever you think about things like uh, childcare for the under threes. Uh, what are some of the others? Uh, control crying. In, in babies, you know, under That's 12 huge. months. That's, That's huge. huge. Any post on Facebook and you'll see. It's very it's, – it's actually, in fact, there is no research that sh- <laughs> that shows that in the context of a loving home and a he- with a healthy baby, that leaving your baby to its own devices for a few nights when it's like 9 to 12 months old uh, in order to see if they'll learn to sleep, there is absolutely not a jot of research that shows that that is going to make them grow up to be – Deprived and psychopaths and psychopaths and smoke Ad- pot behind the dummy <laughs> and, uh, and have attachment problems, you know. So those areas are fraught, and people tend to get highly religious about particular points of view, which is really concerning for new mothers who are fresh. To I didn't have to deal with any of that stuff because it wasn't around much when I had my kids, but I really feel now because. People put their ideas, philosophic ideas, if you like, on what you should do with babies and toddlers and couch them all, often in scarily terms. If you don't do this, this is going to happen in the future, that's going to happen in the future. And, I mean, in certain circumstances, obviously, if babies are neglected, abused, not cared for properly, of course, that's going to have long-term effects. But most of the women who look for this advice are educated middle-class women who would do anything for their babies. And uh, and so I, I can never figure out what the point is of trying to get them to follow a particular idea. Uh, it's almost religious. And I, I think that really interesting because it definitely resonates with me about why I found conflicting advice difficult to process because I couldn't, I couldn't find my own 
way of doing things because I was so scared that what I was doing was wrong because one person said this and the other person said that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation and I'm speaking with Robin Barker, author of Baby Love and a Mighty Toddler, about conflicting advice. Robin, what's your advice on how parents might find the right advice for them? Well, when you have your first baby, you don't know. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> actually haven't a clue. And so it has to be something you can live with, for starters. You know, wearing your baby 24 hours a day, that's fine for some people. They can do that. But for many women, the thought of doing that just makes them shudder. And, and so don't do it. I mean, <laughs> there are no advantages that um, research doesn't show any advantages of wearing babies 24 hours a day the, the way they do in some communities. Uh, as I said, if you want to do it, fine. If you don't want to do it, that's a, a, also okay. So you have to try to work out how you're living, the circumstances under which you're living, how you want to run your life and your baby's life. That's really important because if you feel you're being pushed into some extreme philosophy that you really can't deal with, then it's not going to be that good for the baby and it's certainly going to be dreadful for the mother. So you have to think about that. Um, You have to hopefully somewhere along the line find a person whose ideas really meet with what you've got in your mind, whose ideas you can follow. I don't think it's a good idea to get too... uh, You have your baby... For at least 21 years. <laughs> Nowadays, much longer. That's right. <laughs> it's good to try and think of this time in their life as just a small part of that whole life ahead. They don't stay babies and toddlers forever. Some some parents love that baby-toddly time. Other people really just get through it, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> and then find suddenly as their baby turns into a toddler, turns into a three-year-old, four-year-old, suddenly life becomes so much easier. They can relate to their child more, suddenly you're starting to get a lot of the rewards that you thought you might be getting at week six. So it's it's best to try and get a bit of perspective about it. Do you think that we as parents can change the way we parent as our kids get older? Let's say you started attachment oh, and then you go... Oh, of course you can. Yeah. yeah. Nothing's cast in concrete. Of course you can. Often when uh, women are pregnant for the first time, they read a lot of stuff that promotes certain ideas and you think, wow, that's that's fabulous. Oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to... Well, let's Not let it. my children watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going In to let my children watch TV. My children <laughs> are never going to be have a screen anywhere near them. Uh, it's, and so forth. And, of course, the practicalities of life as we live it soon, soon raise their heads. And, and, of course, you can change tack. Of course you can. I mean, the main thing with raising children is be kind. <laughs> Don't be cruel. You know, Try to be patient. Yeah, try to be patient. <laughs> remember, remember, it's a developmental phase for an adult as well as the child. Um, teach them to read and swim, you know. <laughs> Give them lots of cuddles. I mean, just try and look at the broad picture rather than getting bogged down in these intricate ideas that often don't fit into an urban professional woman's life. And what do you think about... Um, so? Finding your own thing that works with with you and what you like is is probably possibly easier to do when you're talking about books or professionals or certain midwives or GPs or whatever. What about when there are people around you that won't go away? 
<laughs> you know, the, the relative that keeps oh, telling you that you're breastfeeding the wrong yes. way or oh, yes. the mother-in-law mm. that thinks your child isn't wearing enough clothes on a 40-degree day. Do you know those sorts of things? How do you advise you kind of... You just have to nod and smile and kind of ignore it, really. Yeah, not in, that actually has great power, I reckon. Yeah, it's just nodding nod and, and smile and, and, and just ignore it. I mean, hopefully the people don't do this too much. Mm. They do, though. You know. <laughs> I know, I know, they do. I mean, one of the things I, le- I learnt working um, in that early childhood centre for so long, once I became a grandmother, I kept my lips firmly closed and I thought if my son or his wife want to ask me any questions, they'll ask me. And I don't think, honestly, I'm not beating my own drum here, but I honestly don't think I've offered any advice once unless they ask me. Do you think you're in a minority? Um, oh, it's hard to know. I did see a lot of pushy, interfering grandmothers when I was working at the Early Childhood Centre, that, which is why I did thought. I ask you that because my parents are very much the same, and not, mm. not just about children, about mm. everything in mm. our lives. They will not say anything. And you actually have to ask them quite a few times and push them, you know, because it's like, no, no, this is the way you're... The other thing is, if, if your adult children, um, who are now parents, ask you for advice and you give it to them and they don't follow it, that happens a lot too. Uh, you have to accept that. Uh, we, we're kind of getting off into the grandparent thing now. However, what I would say is, I, didn't, I don't want to raise my grandchildren. My children are quite capable of doing it. They are going to do things differently to how I did it. Most most children think they can do a better job than their parents did. <laughs> they do. And uh, I was very happy to leave them to it. You know, you've done it once. I don't really want to do it again. So I have a bit of a problem thinking about grandparents who seem to want more than that. You know, They seem to really want to be almost raising their grandchildren all over again. And whilst that can be very helpful for the the adult parents, it can also be um, quite interfering, I think, and confusing uh, sometimes. And confusing and raise all sorts of intergenerational kind of conflicts, you know. Mm. Mm. I've got to wrap it up because you know, <laughs> otherwise I'll talk to you all afternoon. Robin, thank you so much for coming You're in. You're welcome. That's Robin Barker. She's the author of Baby Love and a Mighty Toddler. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.